calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Hey everyone, this is John Roca, one third of the Geek Buddies with this awesome ad for you. If you like this show and you want to make your own and some of you have reached out and asked us about making your own podcast, well, let me tell you about Anchor. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And now you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. The possibilities are endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world's never heard before. Go ahead and let your freak flag fly. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many more places. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Take it from us here at the Geek Buddies. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now, on with the Geek Buddies show. Welcome, everybody, to some bonus content from the Geek Buddies. Hey! You know, we've kind, of, we've kind of made this more of a consistent thing to give you our spoiler reviews of movies and TV shows. We've got one coming probably next week for the boys, uh, that Amazon show. We're going to talk about that. But today, uh, we are talking about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood from Quentin Tarantino. I am one of your hosts, John Roca. I am Michael Vogel. And this is Shannon McClung. All right. Well, let's let's break this thing down. Maybe maybe make this 15, 20 minutes. Just shoot the shit hey, about. Don't, hey, don't oh, rain us in, bro. Oh, bro. Don't sorry, rain bro. us in, man. Sorry, bro. Just let it be. Let it, let it, <laughs> let it, let, let's do a Tarantino. Just let it be as long as it needs to be when yeah, you're hanging oh, out with your friends. I don't think we want to do a two hour and 45 minute review, but I respect your point of view, Michael. <laughs> um, all right. Overall, what were you all's overall impressions well, of the film? I just want to say that I'm happy that we can talk about it. We did this uh, earlier, you know, earlier in the week we dropped our Tarantino episode and it was yeah. very hard to not get into spoilers really once upon in Hot Time in Hollywood so I'm very glad that we're here now and we can really talk about it uh, Shannon uh, in the episode earlier this week you kind of we made it known that I think you liked it the least so why don't you start well I mean I would probably give it like 6 6.5 out of 10 wow um, I uh, 
it took too long to get going. I, I think if you were to cut out all those shots of Brad Pitt driving, you could have shaved off half the movie. Um, it was like I it was just so like, okay, come on, okay, we get it, we get it. Um, once the movie got going, once the train left mm. the station, which is when for you? Uh, after his uh, after Leo's conversation with Al Pacino. Okay, that's where I felt like the movie finally started to get going. At okay. the beginning of the movie. Yeah, but I mean, it was a it, it. But yeah, but I mean, that was what twenty five minutes in, right. thirty minutes in. I guess it was. Yeah, I mean, I can I can be wrong. Awesome. Maybe my concept of time was off. Mm. But um, once, yeah, I just could not. I, I just nothing was grabbing me at the beginning, and I and I, and I was excited to see the movie. Once, um, once the train kind of left the station, I loved all the individual moments, everything about it. I was like, oh, this is great. I'm so curious where yeah. this is going to go, and then by the end. Ah, God! I it was one of those it was one of those situations. I'm like, how are they going to tie this into what actually happened? Right. And there was there was there was just no attempt made at all. And I get that that's his you know prerogative as a storyteller. Mm. Um, but it's just not what I was expecting. And as a viewer, I mean, that falls on me. It's like, oh, I went in expecting one thing, got something else. Yeah. Um, Love DiCaprio in it. Love Brad Pitt. Um, I don't know why you cast Margot Robbie in that role. I, I think, like, give you don't need Margot Robbie in that role. Give a young actress a chance. Well, I, I think I would counter and say that she wanted to do it. Uh, she pushed for it when it was announced because, of course, these people get the trades or get the announcements, and they, there's agents that are involved in the situation high, way higher up uh, than we are. Of course, Michael's probably dealt with them uh, in his career, uh, but they get those casting notices or whatever or the interests, and so they submit their clients. Margot Robbie hears about it. She wants to play Sharon Tate. Apparently, I think Sharon Tate was someone that she liked. Well, also, I mean, I mean, it wasn't just that role. I mean, this movie was filled with people. I mean, Al Pacino wouldn't usually take a role. One scene. He's in one scene, you know, like or like maybe two. Yeah. Uh, you know, oh, like right, this, on the phone this movie was filled with actors at very high levels playing very, very small roles. But I think yeah. it's different, though. I think it's different that you have her as a consistent presence yeah. and going in thinking that she is going to have this big thing at the end and it just doesn't happen. I think it's different when you have Timothy Oliphant or you have Al Pacino pop in for a scene or two versus someone who is a presence who's not really doing very much. I mean, no, I think that's fair. I mean, mm-hmm. she, she really doesn't do much. Yeah, she is. Although, the stuff that she does do for not doing anything, she does really well. Yeah, true. Oh, I no. mean, like, oh she's, she's great. Yeah. She was very arresting to watch on screen, mm-hmm. so she was doing something right. Uh, I, yeah, I think... I really like this movie a lot. I also... This movie bothers me a lot. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm of two minds about it. Because, like you, I enjoyed every individual scene. I thought the performances were great. I thought it just felt like a Tarantino film. I think it's astounding that he used no digital effects and actually recreated old Hollywood physically in Hollywood mm-hmm. in a way that is just mind-boggling. Um, to just to, to rebuild the shops on Hollywood Boulevard yeah. to look like they did in 1969 is crazy. Fuck that. The highway scene with all the cars yeah. being authentic from that it's, time period was incredible. It's just bananas to me. But yeah. I think what you're talking about, and I do think this is the issue of the movie, which is... A lot of times, like I, I'm like a, I'm I'm obsessed with movie structure and story structure, as 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 you know, Shannon, because mm. we've worked on scripts together. But like I'm obsessed with story structure. I really, it's something that, and when a movie doesn't have good structure, I usually chalk that up to bad storytelling, bad script writing, whatever. 
Tarantino is not a bad filmmaker, nor is he a bad writer. Right. So what he did here, he did because it's exactly what he wanted to do. But what he did, usually when you watch a movie, you learn in the first handful of scenes, the main character wants this. And the rest of the movie is sort of driving towards that thing. So you have little, even if you know nothing about screenwriting or movie making or anything, as an audience member, you kind of go, oh, I get it. The Terminator's going to kill her and she has to get away. Right. Oh, I get it. They want to catch ghosts. Like you, you get something and you see them do that. And this movie didn't really have that. This movie just had a bunch of things sort of going on with these characters. And, you know, Rick sort of had a journey. The Leonardo DiCaprio character Cliff mm-hmm. had a journey. Mm-hmm. And then Margot Robbie was over here with Sharon Tate kind of doing her own thing completely separately. And they did all sort of come together at the end for happenstance, but it just didn't ever really feel like you had like a huge arc for any of them. I mean, the biggest arc that you could say is you have Rick Dalton, who is sort of an actor past his prime, who says that he's – you know, the world around him has changed. Tarantino Mm -hmm. has talked about this, that there was all these actors that when you got to this – era change where like Hollywood was changing around them they couldn't keep up with the times and the times moved past them and we were in this like hippie era and actors changed and leading men changed and these guys got left behind and Leo's character just wants to like hold on to his career and he says if I could just go and meet Polanski yeah my neighbor then maybe I could do that and then at the end he gets to go in there because you know he killed a woman in his pool with a flamethrower right. so like it, it's it's a weird sort of it's that is an arc it's a weird thing, but to your point, the arcs are so sort of minimal, and it is mostly just this thing that just happens that you're watching. And even the Manson murders happening the way they happen in Rick Dalton's house sort of just happens because the one girl in the car is like, hey, we should do this instead. Like mm-hmm. Things just sort of happen by chance in a way that in any other movie, it would really bother me. And in this movie, I was like, well, this is why this kind of feels slow. But I'm still really enjoying each individual scene. So I was very yeah. sort of torn coming out of it because it irked me the way the storytelling happened while at the same time I was thoroughly enjoying every single sequence that I watched. Well, and I think that's why you cast the way you cast. You want Pitt and DiCaprio. They've never been in a movie together. They essentially were competing for roles all their careers, the same roles their entire careers. And now you do the little tongue-in-cheek of making one the stunt double of the other. You know, and kudos to Pitt <laughs> for being willing to be the stunt double of DiCaprio because that totally works. But they each, as you said, Mike, they have their separate arc. But the movie's about their friendship. It's a bromance. And you're following their friendship as it goes along in the stages of their friendship. As Dalton's career changes, it affects uh, uh, Booth's life, which is Brad Pitt's character. And you see Brad Pitt drives his car, takes care of him in this nice house, and drives to this shitty fucking trailer at the back of a drive-in movie theater to eat mac and cheese and feed his dog. And right. Panorama City. And, that's, and that's, Panorama that's City. far away. That's far away, exactly. So, <laughs> like, he's putting the time in, but he's still holding... This is his connection to Hollywood, which is Rick Dalton. And you find out throughout the movie all this backstory on Brad Pitt's character that he's not a good guy. Which or, also or bothers me, though. Good, like, like, unnecessary backstory. <laughs> Oh, I like the backstory. Let me say that. I I enjoyed the languid nature of this film very much. My issues with the film are what Shannon brought up. The ancillary characters are so lightweight and cotton candy that you don't give a shit about them at all. And then when you get to the violence ending, it's completely unearned in my opinion. Is it fun? Is it enjoyable? For some people, yes. They laughed. They enjoyed it. But for me, I felt like, no – what happened in the movie does not warrant the punishment 
you delivered to these three characters who came into the who came into this situation wanting to kill some uh, wanting to kill them randomly well, because they happen to be I think, out. And I think the this dog. gets to Shannon's uh, point. He said uh, it earlier earlier in the in the podcast from before yeah. where we're talking about not if you go in not knowing about the Manson murders. Yeah, because if you go in not knowing about the Manson murders, you are completely baffled as to what happens at the end of this movie. Exactly. And I think that that is a disservice to the storytelling. And I think to what you're saying, which is if you had kind of framed it up a little bit better or made Manson's cult more of a threat. Right. Showed how dangerous they were, like done something. You had that one scene at the ranch, but it wasn't enough to carry over. Yeah, that if you had done something – where you were really like, these are bad people, or mm-hmm. what they're going to do is really bad, and then they did it, and then they got punished for it. Right. Right now, they were just kind of the, these goofy hippies that just yeah. got brutally murdered. And I think if you know the story, and you know these are the people that that uh, you know killed Sharon Tate, that, that yeah. killed Sharon Tate, were the and and you know performed the Tate murders, yeah. and like you know most people feel like uh, the Tate murders and Manson really ended that era of Hollywood. Yes. It was an era that was ending anyways, mm-hmm. but that that was the moment where Hollywood changed forever. And for Tarantino, yeah. who loves that era of Hollywood so much, to to have this moment of I'm going to take this moment back the way I did in Inglorious Bastards, the way I did sort mm. of in Django Unchained, for him that's really important. It's this idea that even with Rick Dalton, like this this era of Hollywood gets to stay on hang on a little longer. Rick Dalton gets to go up mm-hmm. to the Polanski mansion. Like it's it's this idea that Hollywood gets to stay on. So when you know all that, it all makes a little bit more sense, and the violence against these people makes a little bit more sense. But if you don't know that, you're like, what the fuck is going on? But see, I'll push back on that just a little bit because that entire sequence was played for laughs. Like for me, I mean, yes, that the it violence was, was brutal and it shocking. It was attempted to play for laughs. But it, but it, was a, it was an attempt at humor, whereas like with Inglorious Bastards, Hitler getting shot up – um, that was one component of that finale. Like you had Shoshana's revenge. That was sort of the overarching uh, moment of that scene, and and Hitler getting knocked off and, and chewed up by that machine gun. That was sort of an afterthought. Whereas this, I mean, you're dealing with the the murders of, of four innocent people and playing it for. La- I don't know. I just I, I, I had but issues so, with that. But so wait. But so but Hitler. Right. No, I get I get what you're gonna say. Well, no, no, I want to <laughs> hear this. Well, but you're but so but like you're literally like. You're not dealing with the murder of four innocent people. You are dealing with the not murder of four innocent people because these terrible people die in an over-the-top ridiculous way. Similarly, Hitler, arguably worse than the Manson murder people, dies in a ridiculous kind of way. Like this is a this is what Tarantino does. Like it it is played for ridiculousness. It is played for over the top. You are kind of almost invited to laugh at it. I'm not saying that I think this is a correct, but it clearly is meant to be some sort of catharsis. It is a right. – these people that in real life did this horrible, horrible, awful thing, I am doing an alternative version in my fantasy. It's the, the title is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Right, right, right. It is a fairy tale where these people get their just desserts in an uber-violent way and Sharon Tate and her friends do not die. But this is – but I think it works better in Inglorious than it does here and the reason is because – um, Hans Landa, Goebbels, uh, even Daniel Bruhl's character, they're all extensions of Hitler. So when they're doing all these terrible things to Shoshan and other people in the movie, 
they're an extension of Hitler. So when Hitler gets killed, it's a warrant to death. The groundwork's oh, no, been I laid. agree. Yeah, and in this movie, it isn't. And I think that's what frustrates me about this movie is this movie is – there's one fix you do at the end. Have them go in trying to kill Sharon. Brad Pitt is walking the dog, hears her screaming, runs in with the dog. Then everything can still happen. That way it's warranted. You go, these people are trying to kill a young, blonde, beautiful, pregnant – actress who is shown throughout the movie as having this enjoyable life and living her life and in love with Polanski and all this and they're trying to kill her because they're just these fucked up hippies and if you had done it like that I think that's so and then you go however much violence you want to do knock yourself out what um what did you guys think of the Bruce Lee scene I, I will give my honest opinion I thought Mike, who I interviewed, and if you want to listen to them or watch that interview, it's over there on Collider on the YouTube channel. Uh, I, I thought Mike was great as Bruce Lee in the personification of him. I thought his movements, his look, everything was fantastic. And the acting, great. But I will tell you that when Brad throws him into the car, I was f- fucking mad. My initial reaction was, ah, oh, fuck you. You're turning him into this kind of thing. But then someone turned me around on it and said... It's Brad's retelling of that scene. Remember, it's Brad's, it's Booth remembering that scene when he's on the roof. So he's, of course, going to play it like he got the best of Bruce. So it's not what Tarantino is presenting. It's what Booth is remembering uh, when he remembers that whole sequence that is splitting on the hairs. It is ab- that it's is valid, though. Tarantino is the storyteller. Sure. Tarantino shows us that scene. Through Brad Pitt's eye, through Booth's eyes. There is nothing in the movie that is meant to imply that that is not what actually happened. It is. He, he, he gets he gets told, first of all, that entire flashback is not only Booth's recollection because we actually see the scene with Kurt Russell and Leo in the trailer, which he would not have remembered because he was sitting outside. He heard it through the window. He's sitting right outside. But then your argument still doesn't stand. So he's remembering. That's my argument. The person who told you this. Yes. <laughs> so, so Cliff is remembering... Kurt Russell saying he's a super shitty person right. and his wife is creeped out by him. So right. that's okay for him to remember, but he's going to change another part of his memory and we're supposed to understand that distinction as an audience? But that's what I mean. The whole thing you can call into question because it's Brad Pitt's – it's Booth's memory of it all. But he's remembering it as a reason like – because when, when DiCaprio says, hey, you know, uh, uh, Russell uh, – Kurt Russell's character, yeah. you know, who I don't remember. He's like, hey, he, he's – it's his buddy who's on this. That's why I can't – that's why I can't bring you. Yeah. He's not – I think if he were telling the story to someone, you could make that argument. Right. But he's not telling the story. He's remembering it. It's like, oh, yeah, that's why I'm not getting hired. Right. He's standing, he's standing on the roof fixing that antenna. He takes his shirt off, gets that smoke out, and then, he, and then we flash back. And it's his flashback because we go back to him back on the roof shirtless but, once the flashback is over. No, I understand that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. regardless mm-hmm. of any of that, yeah. this is the way Tarantino portrayed Bruce Lee in the film. Yes. Fair. Like, regardless of any of the yeah, splitting yeah, yeah, yeah. hairs, they're like, well, but it wasn't really because Cliff was remembering. Like, right. this is how Bruce Lee was portrayed in the film. Yeah. Um, That's fair. And his daughter certainly did not like it and has been vocal about it on social media and in interviews that she didn't like the way uh, her dad was portrayed in the movie. And I totally get it because I had that same yeah. feeling about it. But I know that Tarantino's a massive Bruce Lee fan. So, and Mike said that. They sent, they talked Tar- to Bruce Lee for like uh, hours when they were uh, concocting this whole thing. So, I don't know. I, I don't mean, know. I'm of two minds of it. Clearly that scene is there so that we understand 
that Cliff is a badass. Right. It's there to help him. So that not Bruce. So that we so that when we do see him at the end of the movie when he's on the LSD cigarette. Right, which is good. Uh, and then attacks and then the, and then like goes after like it doesn't come out of the blue. Right. That oh well he's he's a bad like he beat Bruce Lee. He's a badass fighter. So right, clearly right. he can do that. So it's clearly why it's set up is to make him look awesome, but it kind of just left a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth. I don't disagree with you, bro. I ha- that was my initial reaction. It still is. And, to, no matter how much you explain it, it still is. And similarly, this whole thing that they kind of set up with him that they just that doesn't really go anywhere, uh, this idea that he maybe or maybe didn't kill his wife. Yeah. And then we it? see the flashback of his like really nagging, awful wife and him staring at her and you're like... Uh, well, okay, and this is a great point, Mike, because this brings up a larger issue that I had that some people are upset about me having is I think we have to start exploring and responsibly so that Tarantino has a proclivity to administer a massive amount of violence to with the female characters in his movies. And in this movie is no different. I mean, when you hear about the fact that he was irresponsible with Uma Thurman off camera in that driving scene when she crashes into the tree, it's terrible, and Uma said it. Then you have the fact that he chokes out Diane Kruger in Glorious Bastards because he says he wants it to look like she's really being choked. So he wants his hands to be the hands that are choking her. And then you throw on top of this what he does to Sharon Tate, which is basically just make her a flighty like no depth type of person. And then you add in, right, the, the shrill wife that gets shot by the harpoon possibly on purpose or because the ship hit a wave. Uh, and then you throw in the two girls that are killed at the end. He violently over and over again destroys these young girls in a way that's uncomfortable. Their face getting slammed into the brick wall drove me insane. The poor girl getting set on fire. I know it's a funny moment, but overall... This violence, this proclivity he has to administer this kind of violence towards women is kind of uncomfortable. Well, and it's also, particularly in the era that we are in right now, um, in addition to all that, which I don't disagree with, you know, to your point, Sharon Tate, and I I, I understand the issue of like, I I don't know what you do with Sharon Tate. If you make her a bigger character in the movie, it sort of defeats the purpose. Like she almost has to be this character that is just sort of, we this we the impending this object, do, this object right, that is the impending right, do, but right. so your 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 female lead in your movie does virtually nothing right right um and beyond that what are the female characters in this movie there's the nagging wife in the flashback there's Zoe Bell there's the uh, who is which is uh, the uh, Kirk Douglas's wife or I mean uh, right uh, whatever's name uh, uh, Kurt, Kurt Russell Kurt Russell's, Kurt Russell's wife, Kurt Russell's yeah. wife Zoe, Zoe Bell, Bell who is from uh, Death Proof right right she's the stunt coordinator on the movie actually on the movie and uh, Margaret. Quali, is that is it Margaret? Oh right, the the girl who's the hippie, the hippie that goes the, with Brad Pitt. Yeah, so I mean, and the he, little girl Julia Butters, who's great. Julia Butters is the only like because look, you have Zoe Bell who is although she's not wrong. Yeah, she's the one that comes out and yells at Cliff to get off of there and like you're an asshole and you creep me out and you're get get the fuck off my set. Right. You have uh, all the women who are in Manson's cult. Right. Who are crazy cult women. Right. You have Leo's starlet wife. Uh, Italian wife, yeah, the Italian who wife. does virtually nothing and right. does you know is not really a character. Um, so aside from the little girl actress in the movie mm-hmm. who has the most, who's you know little mini Meryl, um, yeah. every female character is kind of just flat one dimensional. Yeah, and I know people are going to counter with Kill Bill. 
no, no, and or I'm not Jackie saying, Brown. No, no. And by the way, I'm but not saying that this, this is, is part a of Tarantino's trend. I'm not saying that this is Tarantino's entire career and every movie he's right, ever right, made. Right, right. No, no. I'm not saying that he that like look because he's had he has had some really really interesting engaging female characters. Yeah. So I'm not saying that. I'm saying in this movie, Wait, yeah, there is a serious lack of female presence. Mm-hmm. And you can say, look, that's because it, this is a bromance and it's a bro movie and whatever. But mm. it, it definitely struck me as like to the point of like almost being uncomfortable a little bit. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the wife memory, once again, is during the flashback sequence that Pitt is having. So that maybe that's how he remembers. But it. it's just you can get away with that. But it's also splitting hairs, like you said. But it's and also so, but yeah. it's also just a question of. And, and this just kind of gets to the bigger question about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Like he. He made this movie. He made this character. When usually, when you set up something in a movie, like he may or may not have killed his wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You set it up because that is that piece of information is either going to mm-hmm. be revealed later on and go deeper into the character, or will be important plot wise or something. And it just was left there. Yeah. So we have this whole thing about: Did you kill your wife? Did you not kill your wife? And if you did kill your wife, I guess because you showed us that she was super naggy and horrible, we're supposed to be okay with it? Yeah, like, I don't fair. know. I know. And so it just because it was never resolved, it was sort of a thing mm-hmm. that you're just like, um, okay. Can, okay, so something, something I've been thinking. After having, watching, have, having watched the film and you saw how unimportant Sharon Tate was to the climax. Yeah, yeah. Um, why even include that at so, all? Like, why, f- why don't you just do... I don't think you can do Manson and not do the Sharon Tate thing. It's the it's the signature well, murder of that whole cult, and it like Mike said, it changed. It didn't just change Hollywood; it changed America because it was the first time you saw these hippies who were marching in the street and were making me uncomfortable because they didn't shower, they were hanging around. Okay, it was fine. They were eating at trash cans. It's fine. Whatever. They weren't fucking with me. Wait, these people can kill me now. That's what changed in America. But see, I feel like this movie, because a lot of times I think the wrong details get leaked out mm. about like, hey, this is what his next movie is about. Right. And the way I heard it, as far as I remember, was, oh, he's doing he's doing the Manson murders. Yes. He's doing the Manson family yes. murders. And that's not what the movie was ultimately about. It was nope. about Rick Dalton and Cliff Booth. Well, except I think that maybe – and maybe this – maybe it all got a little bit, you know, in the process of making it different. But like I think that – his intention making this movie was I'm going to make a movie where the Tate murders don't happen. Right. right. Mm-hmm. I don't think he started off and I could be completely wrong on this, but I don't think he started off by saying I'm going to do this bromance about this actor and his stunt double. And, Oh, you know what? I bet I can get the Manson murders in here. I think he was like, I love this era of Hollywood. I want to do a movie about this era of Hollywood. And even when you hear him in interviews, he's very clear on these sort of, Actors, these these TV actors that got really popular in right. the westerns, which every show was a western, and they kind of moved up to doing movies. And that as as the culture around them changed, they realized like the lead the type of leading man that Hollywood was mm. looking for changed, and they were sort of like they the times passed them by, and that all sort of circled around this new generation of Hollywood happening, yeah. hippies, everything that happened. So I think he wanted to make a movie about this era. And because the Tate murders are sort of the Manson, mur- you know, the Tate murders particularly are kind of held up as that's when Hollywood kind of irrevocably changed. He was like, wouldn't it be great if that never happened? How would that happen? Well, what if these other people lived at the bottom of the hill? Right. Well, what would that be? Well, I like these actors who were like, I can see how the movie got built so that Cliff and Rick were built and designed 
to be there at the bottom yeah. of the hill and yeah. be the ones that prevented this murder from happening. So I get all that. It all makes sense to me. I think it's perfectly valid to make the movie about that. Mm. Um, and I kind of like that that's, the movie is about that. It, it doesn't bother me that that's what the movie is about. It bothers me that it's not um, established as well as it could be at the beginning. Gotcha. Yeah, and, and that shows because he worked with Deborah Tate, who is Sharon's sister, I think, yeah. and she was a strong consultant on the film, wanted Sharon portrayed a certain way. Um, sh- he did not work with any of the Bruce Lee family to bring Bruce Lee into the film, so that could speak volumes as well with how the different portrayals are with both of these characters. Um, but I also think, in a way, he kind of uses as the hook for people to see the movie. Oh, the Manson family murders are in this done by Tarantino I know what he did with Glorious Bastards. What's he going to do with this? I got to see this. It's a smart. It's a smart hook. If you're looking at it without any morality, it's a smart hook to get an audience, right? To get an audience. But if you look at moral, moral wise, it's a little uncomfortable. Um, I will say because I, I realize I'm sitting here talking about all the things that I don't like about the yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt are so good in this movie. I yes. can't even deal with it. Yep. Both of their performances are so effortless. And amazing. Yeah. Um, particularly, I do think my favorite scene in the entire movie is um, when Leonardo DiCaprio is acting in oh, the Western yeah. TV show yeah. with Timothy Oliphant. And it's an interesting thing that Le- Rick Dalton is a guy who, particularly after he talks to, what is the little girl's name? Yeah, Julia Butters. Julia Butters. After he the talks actress. to Julia Butters, who is this very professional actress, yeah. you can see that he real, he's, he was, he's not a trained actor in that way. Right. He doesn't know that he's that good. He's, he's a guy, I mean, he has that great scene in his trailer where he's like yelling at himself. That's an Academy Award winning um, performance Absolutely. Right there. But to watch an actor playing an actor who doesn't think he's a good actor, yeah. but then is on set and is acting and is actually really good. Yeah. But then can't remember his line. Like when he yelled line, I was so thrown out of it because I was actually so engaged watching him act. And so I'm like, so I was like doing it in my head. I was like, so Leonardo DiCaprio is an actor playing an actor who doesn't think he's a good actor, but then goes on set and (laughs) is acting really good, but then forgets his line and then beats himself up because he thought he wasn't acting good, but he was. Right. That's some shit right there. Agreed. The progression of his character in that scene is incredible. And, you know, it could be played for laughs. What she says to him and him getting emotional, but you kind of see that he's earned that moment to be emotional about her compliment to him after the scene with him and OnlyFans when well, he's got her. Like, and it is funny. I did laugh. Yeah. I did laugh, and I thought it was funny, but I also thought it was a true, real moment. Like yeah. both, both he and then uh, similarly, Brad Pitt on acid oh. is <laughs> incredible. Is inspired. Yeah, his incredible. everything he did was inspired. So the performances in this movie were amazing, and yes. I do think. To Quentin Tarantino's point about wanting to make a hangout movie, mm-hmm. even though I have a lot of issues with this movie, I can easily see myself like flipping on TV, and if this movie is on, oh, yeah. I would probably just watch it all the way till the end. I will say, when I walked out the first time, I was like, oh, I don't, ever, I don't need to see this again. But over the last few days, as I've talked about it more with people, I'm like, no, I want to go see this again. So I'm, I'm definitely going to see the movie a couple more times in the theaters, I think, before it goes away, because... There's a lot to chew on here, whether you like it or not. It's certainly a divisive film in a lot of ways, uh, and I think that's exciting, and I think that's good because nowadays we get the superhero films, <sighs> we get the independent films. This is a film from a master filmmaker that makes you think, and maybe it upsets you, but you're, there's also a lot to like about the movie, and that's fun to chew on. I do wonder, though, like, if I were an executive mm-hmm. 
and I read this script, yeah, a lot of the things that we're talking about right now, I'd be like, well, what really is Rick's arc? Like, what is important about the relationship between Cliff and Rick? Shouldn't we set up the Manson murders some way earlier on? So if people don't know, there's a lot of questions that I can see an executive wanting to give yeah. that because you're Quentin Tarantino... Yeah. You're just like fuck you. I don't have to listen to you. Yeah. And you, okay, fair. You're Quentin Tarantino. Like I'll you're someplace like, else. Um, but I do think that I wonder if Quentin Tarantino is at that point now where it's like uh, maybe somebody should have given you like a, a couple notes would have really taken this from being oh yeah a movie where I'm sort of um, divided internally where I'm like ah this was really well made and it was really good also. I think this didn't work and this didn't work and this Bruce Lee thing is problematic and I feel like the women in this movie like I have a lot of issues that mm-hmm. I'm like if we had just sort of addressed a couple of these I think this would have been maybe one of Quentin Tarantino's best. That's fair. And yeah. I think because those things aren't addressed uh it's still an amazing achievement of filmmaking on many levels yeah. but also a bit problematic and also um and and happy to argue people i mean i'm sure there are people who are gonna be like you just don't get it you don't see what the arc is you didn't get it and i'm like okay maybe but also i'm pretty good at that stuff and i think that there could have been a much stronger arc and a much stronger resolution to cliff and rick's relationship what do you think yeah i mean i i would love to see the continuing adventures of rick dalton and cliff Mm. booth Mm -hmm. i thought as a pair i mean it's it's a shame that we'll never see another movie with them um i i hold them up to uh kiss kiss bang bang i mean robert downey jr val kilmer Uh, i'm like i would love to see you two do something again yeah together certainly brad pitt to me uh is the stronger of the two in the performance but DiCaprio gets the show know, your man. scenes. DiCaprio gets the show your scenes, so it can be like, oh yeah, he's great in this and the trailer and the, all the scenes, everything. Like that. But Pitt's uh, like animal-like ferocity, just bubbling below the surface the whole movie. That's not easy to play, and well, it's there in every scene until he unleashes it at the end. You're like, oh my god! Well, and just that moment with the acid cigarette. Yes, are you real? Yeah, it's <laughs> hilarious. And so, and it makes it made it reminded me of him in uh, True Romance. Yeah, you know, uh, which a Tarantino written film, uh, and it, it's great in that way. And so, yeah, I mean, I agree. I think I agree. You, People go see this thing and make your own minds up. about. I hope to God you've already seen it, which you listen to the spoiler review, but certainly go back and see it again and see what you get out of it differently. Uh, uh, We'll see. We'll see. Um, All right. Uh, Any final thoughts or score? Do you want to give the film a score? You said six and a half. I'll I'll go six and a half. Okay. What do you give it? I give it seven and a half. Seven. Okay. That's I'm going to safely sit between my two buddies. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how you bob for apples. All right. Well, thanks. <laughs> Call back. Call back. <laughs> uh, thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode. This, uh, Sorry, this spoiler review episode of The, the Geek Buddies. Buddies. Hey. Uh, let us know what you thought about the movie. Uh, Shannon, where can they do that on social media? Yeah, you can follow us on Twitter at geek underscore buddies or on Instagram at the underscore geek underscore buddies as you go and uh, Mike uh, what yeah. else do they need to do uh, you know give us some stars give us some comments give us some listens uh, the more that you comment the more that you rate us the more that you do everything the higher up we go and the more buddies we get that's right that's how it goes now, do we have to do the geek buddies thing again now no we're done uh, yeah. at MK Tune. At Shannon underscore McClung on Twitter, at Shannon the Geek Buddy on Instagram. There you go. At The Rogue Says on Twitter and on Instagram. And we will talk to you next week uh, on The The Geek Geek Buddies. We did do it again.
Ben. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues, and it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.